Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news, trends, and hottest topics that focus on advances in cybersecurity and cyber industry economics. Our expert yet down-to-earth hosts make cybersecurity straightforward. They ask the tough questions and make this challenging topic something that everyone can understand. Our candid approach lets guests open up on topics we would all like to see addressed. You can find us on the web at newcyberfrontier.com. That's www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join today's host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Welcome to today's episode of New Cyber Frontier. On today, we have Esther Schlatten von Lotz. And I know I probably have not done your name any justice, and I apologize ahead of time, but Esther, it is a pleasure having you on. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, lovely to be here with you today. Definitely. So I want to uh, first, you know, the first thing we'll do is let you introduce yourself. We definitely have a, you're a specialist uh, at Deloitte, uh, but do a lot in cybersecurity architecture and great uh, conversation I had with you before the show. And I wanted to get that out to our listeners and, you know, where things are going here lately for you. But first of all, you know, pronounce your name for us exactly and uh, give us a background on how you got to where you're at. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Chris. So my name is Esther Schagen van Luyt. I think uh, Chris did as good as a job as it was going to get. Um, so my um, my background is originally that I started out in economics and management, and I, I didn't actually know I liked IT or even cybersecurity. Um, so it was not until I got my first job as a management consultant that I accidentally got into touch with the world of cybersecurity. Um, and this was a hacking conference I, um, I ended up at. And because of the lack of diversity in the cybersecurity industry back then, they invited eight female keynote speakers uh, to come and tell about their work on stage. And I was so very impressed with the ladies on stage um, that I decided at that moment that I wanted to be one of those inspirational ladies as well in cybersecurity, inspiring others to take up this work. Um, so that's uh, a very pivotal moment in my career, and I decided to switch to cybersecurity. This is how I ended up at Deloitte, uh, where I got the pleasure to uh, continue my education in cybersecurity specifically. Um, and in the end, after uh, about five and a half years, ended up as a specialist in security architecture. Mm -hmm. um, also, quite a while ago, I, uh, I got involved with the security architecture community. Uh, I refer to them as my security family. Um, and uh, we've been trying to improve the cybersecurity world bit by bit by uh, sharing our architecture vision on it. Pun intended there, bit by bit? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. A little bit, I gotcha. So economics and cybersecurity, tell, tell us about the relation there and how that transition helped you with your, you know, from what you had previously to moving that in cybersecurity. Yes, of course. So um, I, I'd like to think that the non-technical background I had is still very useful in the work that I do today. Of course, I sometimes think back, um, if only I'd done an, an IT education to start with, then maybe my transition into cybersecurity would have been much easier. Um, but in a way, I feel I'm very lucky to have been granted a chance to still <laughs> move into this industry. Um, and I must say, so I'm, I'm also very much involved next to my work in architecture, in, in paying it forward to the next generation. 
Um, so I go out to schools and events and boot camps to speak to especially young girls um, and show them how much fun the work is so they can make that decision for themselves a little bit earlier than I did. Um, having said that, so I have a background in economics. Um, in practice, that still serves me very well, even in this role, um, as of course, I am, I am a consultant and I work for clients and understanding their business is really key to me providing sound security advice. So going beyond that checklist mentality and really um, recommending and implementing something that fits their organization and what they try to achieve. Interesting. So, and uh, I know we're going to talk about security architecture, that's your thing, but I want to unpack the economics thing a little bit more. Uh, first, though, we're going to have our, our sponsor break coming up. But one of the big things that is always a problem is the economics of cybersecurity, proving what people's investment, what companies' investment got them in the long term. And it's such a big gap that so often that's the showstoppers. Well, we spent this money. What did it do for us? I want to unpack that a little bit when we come back. We're going to hear from our sponsors first. Be right back. Cyber Resilience Institute helps build strong cyber communities designed to prevent members from attack. Like building a neighborhood watch, it takes coordination and a sharing community to protect our identities and valuables in the virtual world. Typically, we hear that organizations know they need to do something to protect their cyber assets, but don't know where to begin. Let Cyber Resilience Institute help your community create an action plan. Cyber Resilience Institute will build your community or business marketplace so that it is designed to support a collective cyber defense. Contact them for more information at cyberresilienceinstitute.org. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On again with Esther Slatten von Lohn, and I hope I'm getting better at that. Um, but before the break, we were talking about economics. And your background in economics was extremely interesting to me because so often that's where we fall short in cybersecurity. We know how to technically do it, but why and what did that get for us at the company? Can you shed some light on how you might you know, help with that particular issue of, I'm going into a company, this is what money you spent gets you in cybersecurity? Yes, so I agree that is a very difficult issue, Chris. Um, it's always, how can we best make the business case for cybersecurity? Because it feels, I, I understand it feels to many C-suite people that um, it is something that you can continue spending on forever. You're never quite sure whether it really worked or not. After all, if you get hacked, does that mean your security was insufficient? Or does it mean a hacker was very clever and just found the one hole in, in your very big cybersecurity defense? Um, and if you don't get hacked, does that mean that your security is actually good or does it mean nobody has tried seriously? Um, so we get this question a lot as well when we come in um, to help people understand how much they should be spending on security. When is it enough um, and, and when has it been effective? So how do we see the return on investment when it comes to cybersecurity? Um, one of the projects that I've actually been involved with in the past, um, and a colleague of mine is, uh, is uh, further specialized in, is something that we call cyber risk quantification, um, where we've actually drawn up a methodology for helping companies determine based on, uh, well, based on the kind of company that they are, the assets that they hold, and patterns that they've seen in the past when it comes to attackers and threats, um, to help them determine what value is at risk. 
Um, and then what kind of measures and to what extent measures are necessary in order to adequately protect that value at risk. Um, so, of course, it doesn't make sense to um, suppose if we determine that the value at risk is actually quite low. Um, suppose you are a company that simply doesn't have any interesting things um, to come and steal or interrupt, then it doesn't make sense to bring in uh, very expensive security requirements um, because that exceeds what you're trying to protect. Um, and of course, the reverse is also true. If you have a lot of things to protect, then there needs to be adequate protection in place. And yes, then you need to invest in a way uh, that makes sure that that is appropriate for what you're trying to protect. Um, so it's very, it's a very personalized approach to what the company is doing. Um, but um, it, in a sense, helps make that business case a lot more quantifiable than uh, yeah, most other parties try to do uh, by simply saying you need to do it because it's important, uh, which is an argument that is now made often for compliance sake as well. Like you need to do it. It's important. The law says you need to do it. Um, but I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of value to be gained and a lot of appreciation and understanding if you really explain why the company is doing what it needs to do in terms of security. Um, also for the people who have to implement it. Yeah. And that an interesting point you brought up about the, you know, if people might not be going, you might not be hacked because somebody's not trying to get after you. So how much and what's your thoughts on, is there a political aspect to it? Let's say, how do we de-emphasize the hackers coming after us and politically in our business model, make us not a target because people don't have an interest in us or we're not an enemy of the people who might be doing that. How much of, of a recommendation for the economic position and security is trying to de-emphasize your value to the hacker? Yeah, that's very interesting. It's very interesting that you bring that up. So, um, of course, we have, uh, I have known people to say, well, um, you know, um, <laughs> As long as they don't hack us, it's fine. Uh, as long as the competition is weaker, our peers are weaker, it's fine. Um, and that then becomes a goal in itself um, to uh, basically make sure that you're not the one being hacked, so it's somebody else. Um, so one way of doing that is to indeed have better security defenses than your peers. Um, but the other way of doing it, like you mentioned, is, is de-emphasizing the value that you have. I think for um, a lot of hackers nowadays, uh, there is a, a lot of value to be gained in, in the most basic of data. Um, so I think in practice, it will be very difficult to say, well, we've got nothing of interest, so there's nothing that we need to protect. I think that the, um, the marketplace nowadays is such that there um, <laughs> there's a lot of possibilities to gain from uh, different types of data. Um, so maybe, you know, if we talk about the bakery on the corner, there's not that much that there is to gain, um, unless it's, uh, I don't know, personal. Uh, but I think for most other companies, it is very difficult to hide the fact that they have information that is quite valuable on the marketplace. Interesting. So um, that was just kind of a side note. It sounded interesting whenever you mentioned that. But uh, talk about security architecture. So you had mentioned the SABSA. Um, it's something that we've never had anybody come on and talk about, but a business approach to security design and architecture. Tell us about that and your involvement with it, I guess, at first, and then what it is to find this for us. 
Yes, so um, SAPSA is, uh, is uh, a methodology for doing security architecture. I first got into touch with SAPSA about six years ago when I got invited to speak at a conference, which was a security conference plus security architecture conference in Ireland. Um, I came there to speak about security and then got drawn into the security architecture fields. Um, in part because the community consists of so many interesting people um, who managed to share their wealth of knowledge with me about how they approached security problems from an architecture point of view. And then it became something that I wanted to explore further and I actually specialized in within Deloitte. Um, currently, um, so the SAPSA framework is managed by the SAPSA Institute and I sit on the board of trustees. Uh, as a director there, uh, and our role is basically to manage the framework to ensure its its quality uh, and also ensure the quality of the certifications given to SAPSA practitioners. Now, um, now SAPSA, Sherwood Applied Business Security Architecture, do I have mm -hmm. capture that correctly? Just wanted to, mm -hmm. so everybody knows that we keep referring to it as its acronym, S-A-B-S-A, -S -A, but that's what it stands for. Go ahead, just didn't, didn't want Yes, so uh, yes, SAPSA is the uh, the popular term. Um, uh, most people use its abbreviation. Um, now, a little bit about the framework itself, I guess. Um, so SAPSA is a way of applying architecture with a view on the business. So it looks at what the business is and what it, it looks to achieve and then takes that as the principle for building security around it. So it's very much the opposite of what we sometimes see security professionals do is say there is a list of requirements that we need to abide by either because it's best practice or uh, because there is a regulation stipulating it. Um, it very much is a way of looking at the business, the business processes behind it, um, then determining what is it that we're trying to protect. Uh, and based on that, build a portfolio of uh, requirements and controls that really help protect what, what the business wants to protect. So it's very much a, a personalized, tailored approach to what security is for your company. Interesting. So you had mentioned that this is, this is kind of an opposite approach taken by compliance and best practices sometimes because you might throw out something that's a best practice in compliance because it doesn't matter for your business. How do you see with, uh, you know, and we, we're actually going to take a break here from our sponsors, but probably more so when we come back, we want to know how do you see that playing out as the the world, GDPR, compliance, CC, uh, California regular or consumer protection in the states moving into federal. How do you see that we're kind of going in the opposite direction of that in the the business world that we're going more towards compliance and that being a problem as we move forward where, you know, it doesn't make sense for your business, but you have to do it. But let's talk about that when we come back. We're right back after this uh, word from our sponsors. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. 
Uh, today again, talking to Esther Slatten van Lalt, and uh, a specialist at Deloitte, but working in the SAPSA framework. And before the break, we had talked about kind of leading up to that compliance and requirements for regulation and best practices are going in one direction that might not always be what each business needs because it needs to be personalized. How do you see that dynamic playing out and are are things going the wrong direction when we just regulate compliance? I don't think per se we're going into the wrong direction. Um, I think that many security practitioners forget that many of the best practices that we look at also um, suggest a risk-based approach. So if we look at something like ISO 27001, it very much asks you to do a risk assessment of your organization and then apply security requirements based off that. Um, what happens in practice is that people just take the appendix of this standard and go and implement all the security requirements that are in there. Um, without really evaluating what matters to their organization. Of course, there are some regulations out there like GDPR, which you need to apply in full. Um, SAPSA also takes into account the legal perspective and the regulations surrounding the company that apply to it. Um, but again, it is tailored to the company. So if you are operating in a context to which specific regulations apply, um, SAMHSA asks you to take that into account, um, but not to take into account the, I don't know, South African regulation if you're operating in Norway. Um, so then again, it's looking at what is the context of the organization, what matters and what doesn't matter. Um, and regulation is a part of that, but um, yeah, we tend to forget as security professionals that also many of our standards actually take a risk-based approach to what you need to implement. Okay. So in stepping back and saying, let's look at the framework. It's a framework. How would you implement it? Maybe give us an example of walking through what SAPSA does and how you put that together for a client or a company without giving any specific names or things like that. No. Um, so um, the SAPSA approach typically has six layers that you step to. Um, so you start off with something that we call the contextual architecture. And um, well, in some ways it's very, very similar to building a house. So this is your security house. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's very similar to building a house in the sense that we're drafting up a blueprint for the house and it becomes more and more detailed as we step to the framework. Um, and in the SAPSA framework, we typically ask six questions um that are very much around okay why are we doing it and what should we be doing how should we be doing it who is doing it where are they doing it and when should they be doing it as a way of capturing uh, kind of all the facets of that layer so when we are talking about the contextual layer we're looking at the circumstances the context of the business that we're trying to protect um and um, so this is uh, some of the things that you can then be looking at is uh, what are the things that we are trying to protect? Um, let me see. Uh, what are the opportunities and threats that we should be looking at? What is the goal that the organization is trying to achieve? So very, very much things around um, what is the business? Uh, what are the chances that they see? What, uh, what are the threats that they see to their business model? Uh, what kind of business are we dealing with? What are we trying to protect? Um, and then if we go to the next layer, so we've determined that we, we, we are building a house. We're not building a hospital. We're not building a parking garage. We're building a house. We have a sense of uh, what it needs to do, why it, it should exist. 
And then we go to the next layer, which is about the conceptual architecture. Um, and SAPSA in the industry is known for one particular thing, which is called business attributes. Um, so usually when you, you ask people about SAPSA, this is the one thing that they remember best, business attributes. And business attributes are a way of uh, representing the value in the business in a concept. Um, so normally in the security industry, we work with things like confidentiality, integrity, availability. These could be seen as business attributes. But SAPSA goes beyond that and says, well, actually, there is many more things that you want to protect in your business than just confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Um, and some of these things are uh, not per se security related. So some of them are, but some of them are also business concepts that we as security professionals should seek to facilitate. So um, a business attribute could be that I would like um, something to be usable and I would need to define that. So what do I mean with usable? I mean that in a particular process, I would like to have something that my users can easily use. Um, so that is the business attribute. And then we look at the security attribute and the security attribute needs to then uh, support the business attribute usable. Mm -hmm. So that means that our security should not be something that stands in the way of achieving the business attribute usable. It should support the value that the organization is really trying to achieve because uh, the organization is, is getting value from something being usable. So we as security should support that, definitely not stop it. And this is what I mean with designing security in a way that really supports the business and what they're trying to do and achieve, not only to protect according to the things that we need to protect, but also see in what way we can facilitate the business actually driving value. So could you give me some more examples of business attributes, maybe list five or 10 of them? So just to get, you know, usability seems a very simple one. Some that you might, one of the, uh, some of the other ones. Um, yes. So uh, um, things, and, and it also, they're just words. In the end, they're just words. There's no, um, um, there's no predetermined set of attributes. So what typically happens is you go into an organization, you try and see some of the values that they're trying to achieve, and you try to capture it in a concept. And then you have to define that concept very well in order for people to understand what you seek to achieve. But some other examples could be things like accessible. We would like to have um, to have our users have access to the things that they need to access. Mm -hmm. um, something could be just in time. Um, so we would like to um, have our users have access to something uh, at the right moment when they need it. Um, it could be something like private. Um, so this could relate more to PII, um, similar to confidentiality, but then specifically for private information. Uh, let me see, can I think of some others, Chris? I'm racking my brain here. Um, Mm, 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 mm. I think that that's a good list, and, and uh, you know, there was I, I've kept a list over the years of everything anybody's ever asked me to do, and I don't have it right in front of me. Um, but on top of the from a business aspect for security, top of some of the ones you had mentioned were things like um, accountability of your actions. Uh, of like their employers, employee actions. Yes, yeah, so accountability actions. would be a good one as well. Um, yes, like channel protection, protecting the flow of information between certain points, between certain applications. 
or it was also a, a big thing or uh, I, identity, not just people, but identity of physical components or even identity of data components. But these are the type of things you're talking about. What do they want yes, to do? Yes, yes. Gotcha. So um, things like, um, for instance, scalable. Um, um, and sometimes there's a mix. Like we look at business attributes. So this say something about the business processes. Then we've got technology attributes, if you will, um, which say something about the requirements for the IT infrastructure. And mm -hmm. then uh, sometimes we make the specific layer security attributes. Um, which specifically say something about what we feel the value and the role of security should be in the organization. Now, where it becomes tricky is that sometimes these are mixed. So sometimes having something secured in a way is critical to the business process, and then it becomes more like a business attribute. Interesting. So that was kind of two layers you said. There's six in the the uh, SAPSA? Yes, so those are the, two, the first two. Um, so um, if we move on through that, we've... Um, we, we, come into a little bit more of the traditional architecture um, world, if you will. So we move into a logical architecture um, where we then basically look at some of the uh, domains and the concepts um, that you should be leveraging to, to secure your organization. Um, and then basically from there on, we drill down more into technology. So we go on to the physical architecture. Huh? What are we really going to use to secure? Um, and the component architecture, which is even lower layer, more technical, um, going on to what kind of vendors could we even be using to so is that where this you're looking at like is that where you're looking at software and tools that somebody might buy or yeah. servers or data repositories, things like that? Okay. Yeah. And that was what the fifth layer? Um, yes, yes, you're very good at counting. Uh, so the last layer is kind of an overlay of um, on top of all the other layers, if you will. It sounds a bit confusing, um, but it's it's commonly called well, some people call it the management architecture or the um, so like operational. Yes, yeah, so it's service architecture, uh, service management architecture. It's very much around maintaining all the other layers of the um, architectures. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and where does um, turning it over to operations and maintenance fall in? Is that that last layer? Um, yes, 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 very much so. It sounds like that you might come in at the beginning do a lot of the stuff up front, maybe not the stuff at the end. You know, what part do you do you see more of the, the earlier stages of this? Yeah, so I, I just explained the six different layers. Mm -hmm. um, but um, if we look at the architecture process, then there is, well, SAPSA recommends four phases. So the first phase is strategy and planning. Mm -hmm. um, and this is very much, well, it's very much around the contextual and conceptual architecture. Those first two layers I described before, um, basically building out the plan of what your architecture should be like, what kind of requirements your architecture should live up to. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second phase is the design phase, which is um, what well, basically the other three layers that I just described. So this is a physical, uh, fi uh, the other three layers that I just described, which is the logical architecture, the physical architecture, and the component architecture. Mm -hmm. So really, how are we going to build the security solutions in a way that it lives up to the requirements of our architecture? Then the third phase we'll move into okay. is the implementation phase, which mm -hmm. is kind of the, it, it touches upon that sixth layer that I just described, the service management layer. Okay. Um, it is where we operationalize things that we, 
we um, oh after we've built it we um, we turn it over to operations and it should be in a condition that keeps it running and maintained. Um, so and then the last layer is uh, the last step in the process is manage and measure. So this is really about understanding. Okay, I've built something, but um, does it do what we wanted it to do? Uh, and if not, does it require tweaking? And again, the key to this is in the uh, attributes that I mentioned before. So each of these attributes, they come with a definition, uh, but they also come with a very concrete way of measuring them. Um, and this is uh, interesting because it touches upon the discussion that we had earlier on how do you prove the added value of security? So this is a way of establishing, uh, because it's business driven, that these are the things that your business needs in order to be successful. And we have also um, provided these attributes with a very concrete way of measuring them. And this leads up, if you if you aggregate that up to seeing how much of uh, what I wanted to achieve in order to be successful as a business is what I'm actually achieving. Um, so it's a, a critical phase in order to understand whether your architecture is really successful and is doing what it's supposed to be doing. Um, and, and then you basically go back to strategy and planning if it requires some tweaking. Now, if you ask me where I'm usually involved, so I, I'm, I'm very much in a consulting role um, and I, I, I'm, my personal preference is around the strategy and planning phase. So I really like to think about how can security enable the business to be successful? What are the opportunities and threats that we should be pursuing? And then how can I, yeah, I call it just enough security. Uh, how can I recommend just enough security for the business to be successful in what they want to do? Um, and then also I do a lot in the design phase. Uh, typically we find that companies then have their own people who work on implementing that. Um, but I think it's very important to stay um, stay on board, of course, to, to provide guidance with the implementation, uh, but definitely the manage and measure phase. So this is something that I see companies not always following up on, but that is shame because then you're not proving the success of what you're, you've implemented and the added value to the business. It sounds like, I mean, there's there's so much involved with this um, that it really covers every aspect. But one thing, when I, as I hear you going into the, the later phases especially, I think of big companies do this. Big companies have this end-to-end, -end, have the capability. What do you recommend for you know the startup, the small company? Um, which pieces of this do they, I mean, because that's probably why they jump into the logical and and the technical pieces, throwing mm -hmm. some some security program solutions at it without really going end to end. What do you recommend for smaller? Yes, yeah, so um, I, I agree that um, typically we see security architecture being implemented at organizations who have a little bit of a higher level of maturity. Um, so it, it hardly ever happens to me that I get asked and a company still needs to get started on security. Um, typically, they already have a lot of security. Um, they might even have lost uh, track of all the security requirements and things and um, that they have implemented. And so they see security architecture as a way of orchestrating all the different elements that they've got into their organization, um, which is good. It's great. Um, it is... Unfortunately, uh, well, so typically we find things that have not been orchestrated very well and it becomes very difficult to then start from scratch. And when somebody has bought a very expensive firewall, they might be very reluctant with parting with it if I say so because of architecture. So this is a, a challenge that we, we face um, when it comes to working with large companies. 
when um, when you look at small companies, then security architecture is not uh, a priority topic for them. But actually, the same methodology is very much applicable to small companies. Um, so I would definitely recommend them going through the same phases for themselves, going through this process, uh, understanding what the business value is that they that they seek to protect, uh, do a proper risk assessment, um, and then derive a portfolio of the things that they really need. So actually, this is one of the things that I've been doing recently uh, as part of my own SAPSA certification process. You need to write a number of exam papers to demonstrate your competency in applying uh, the SAPSA framework. Um, in order to do that, you need to use a case study. And in my case, um, especially because uh, it can be so daunting to apply SAPSA for the first time for new practitioners to a large organization, I've applied it to the, the smallest possible scope I could think of. So um, my particular case study in this case is a fictional bakery uh, which I've given four key business processes, and I've gone through all the steps that they need to do um, as part of the SAPSA framework. Um, this is actually something I'll be presenting on um, during um, the COSEC Connect conference in um, at the end of September, um, because it's... Um, because of its simplicity, it's so great to see the framework executed in a way that it's understandable and easy to do for everybody. Um, so the short answer is they should definitely do the same thing. Just go to the framework and fortunately it will be um, easier for them to do because there is so much less in scope because they have a smaller, simpler organization. Um, and they will hopefully arrive at the same conclusion as the big corporations that we work for, which is just enough security. Interesting. All right. Well, this has been a pleasure talking to you today. Um, anything in kind of closing that you'd like to get out, uh, mention how people can attend this conference where you're going to be presenting your paper or things like that, or anything that uh, you want to get out to potential customers? Um, yes, so the conference I was just talking about is called COSEC Connect. COSEC is actually a wonderful conference in Ireland that takes place every year uh, around October. Um, we have security and security architecture professionals come there and I refer to them casually as my security family. Uh, wonderful people from which you can learn a lot. Um, COSEC Connect, because it's virtual, is free this year. Um, so you can simply go to the COSEC website and register yourself there for this conference. Um, it is a shortened program because it's it's not a, a physical conference, uh, but I'll be one of the, I believe, seven speakers uh, speaking on a security architecture topic there. Um, one other thing that I would like to stress is that um, security architecture is quite a complicated um uh, Concept. I think if you if you speak to security professionals and you talk about security architecture or even to security architects, um, they will have varying definitions of what security architecture is, uh, what it should be, um, and how it relates to their work. So this is quite interesting. Um, I think that the first thing to always do when you talk about security architecture is to get a clear understanding of what we're referring to. Um, I also know that. Uh, we kind of get a bad rap in the uh, in the industry because security architecture tends to take a long time. Um, but this is simply because it's not been applied in the leanest and meanest way. And I think one of the biggest challenges for us going forward as a security architecture crowd is to really get an understanding of, okay, how can we apply this in an agile fashion where we quickly show the return on investment? 
Um, because we typically tend to do this for large corporations. There's a lot of assets and things in scope and therefore it takes a long time to step through each of the layers. Uh, but there's definitely a lot of work being done in the community on how to break it up, how to make it quick and snappy and how to show that that real business value quite quickly. Um, and I think that is one of the challenges, uh, but also one of the, the areas that we'll focus on as a community throughout the coming years. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining today, Esther. It has definitely been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Chris. All right. Have a great one. Bye. Thank you for listening to New Cyber Frontier. Remember to follow or like our post and circulate each new show to your networks. We keep you informed, bring you the latest news, explore new trends, and find the hottest topics. With New Cyber Frontier, you don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert. Just get plugged in. We encourage you to get involved. Tell us what topics interest you and join our mailing lists. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. That's newcyberfrontier.com. Check out our previous interviews and please let us know if there are any topics that you would like to hear discussed. See you next time on New Cyber Frontier.